0: Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal Engine. Also, ash on my tomatoes! We're your hosts. My name's Alex, and next to me is, after a long journey off into the wilderness, maybe Mordor is... Uh, Jacob Feldman. Sorry, you you threw me way (laughs) off
1: there. That that was was a good one. Uh, Yeah, excited to be back. It's been a couple uh, long weeks of travel for me, and uh, I've missed hanging out on the podcast, so... Very excited to be back, and, and to we get, we got some awesome topics to go over tonight, some of which, as I was just mentioning to Alex, right before we hit record, I'm totally out of the loop on, so it's going to be ah. like, totally candid for me, uh, even more than normal, I guess.
0: Yeah, and Jacob, can you tell us at all about what you've been up to the past few weeks, or is yeah. it all like top secret Super NDA? No,
1: um, so I, it was a lot of conferences, um, so about three weeks... Um, we had the, the company, um, I work for, had a full like on-site, So all, all 300 and something of us descended on Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I haven't wow. been to Richmond in quite a while. Um, but, uh, it was cool. It was a long week. Um, got back and, and one week later flew over to Chicago for a conference called KubeCon on, <laughs> that's all about Kubernetes. And, uh, <laughs> and man, was that something. Um then came back for I wanna say three days and then flew to Denver for a conference called Supercomputing. Um which was its own its own, you know well, actually a very different crowd than the rest of them, but that's besides the point. So yeah, I, I've been all over the place. Um and I'm very glad that uh we're kinda at the end of conference season and get to take yeah. a break until, I don't know, like March or something like that.
0: Yeah, you got a little bit of time. <laughs> well, cool. It's good to have you back. Um, definitely some fun topics for us to cover today, uh, just to give people a little bit of a sense of the agenda. Um, I thought we could cover some of what's been happening with the Epic Game Store, both some of the news coming out of the uh, testimonies going on, as well as some of my own personal experiences trying to do some things on the Epic Game Store for the first time. Uh, I thought we could talk a little bit about Um, what some of my recent uh, discoveries have been with Unreal Engine and Meta. Some of this is kind of like PSA stuff where I want to kind of warn uh, other folks out there about some of the limitations of the Meta plugin in 3.5. 5.3, I also want to talk a little bit about uh, what the community, the Unreal Engine community has been doing with the Halcyon VR project, which again is an open source kind of community recreation of the Halcyon Galactic Star Cruiser project. And uh, much to Jacob's chagrin, I'm sure, I would like to talk about my adventures with remote pixel streaming and uh, VPNs, two topics that I've been very intimidated about for a couple years now. And then finally, like, sitting down, I made a lot of progress in, like, one night. Uh, Actually, I had, like, several nights with, like, zero progress, and then, like, the floodgates opened, and everything worked, and I realized how simple a lot of it really was. So I hope I can serve... Uh, a bit of a a inspiring story for anyone who is also intimidated by those topics, and uh, and Jacob can just sit there and be like, yeah, it's really easy. Why doesn't everyone already uh, know that? For the record,
1: <laughs> I I just want to say this out out front that VPNs in general just not simple. Uh, you would think you yeah. would think uh, there there are a lot of solutions out there. Um, some are are better than others, but don't underestimate yourself. It it, it is truly a, a more complicated than anyone would probably guess from from the outside
0: yeah well we, we can dive right into that if you'd like jacob because the oh i can say right off the top that the major thing that i uh needed to do to get over the hump of everything that wasn't working was the fact that i didn't realize that my uh isp my internet service provider optimum in this case uh was blocking all my port forwarding, so all the things where I'm like, I don't know why this isn't working. I open this port. My router says it's opened. Didn't matter because it was being blocked like one level up. And by the time I, you know, I actually just messaged Optimum on Twitter and was being like, Hey, I got to open some ports. And they're like, Oh, what ports do you need open yeah. And I literally just listed it in a Twitter DM, and they're like, Okay, those ports are open now, and then everything worked. Yeah, so that yeah, was that's, kind of that's funny. funny. Yeah, so
1: some some ISPs can be pretty weird about certain port i mean i'm surprised um i guess it depends on uh, what what you were running over that but like usually they only get upset with like ssh and stuff like that i i I hadn't heard of too many things outside of that but here anyways but back up like uh what 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 was the the project here for those
0: folks who who don't know and kind of what did you get into for the pixel streaming stuff yeah so there's, there's two sides of that. One is um, every time there's a new release of Unreal Engine, uh, I need to go through and update a bunch of the courses that we have for Epic as part of the you know authorized training stuff uh, that Jacob also used to be a part of. And so I have a pixel streaming course um, that I've tried to introduce some of the other new things in there, like the multicam feature and give a little bit of a hint of like the WebXR pixel streaming stuff. Uh, June and my team has been helping with that as well. And we wanted to do something about... Remote pixel streaming. I have like a really simple video on my YouTube channel that's like, hey, you know, how to get started doing pixel streaming in Unreal Engine, and it's very straightforward. Um, but the question that a hundred people have in the comments is, okay, cool, that's great for local pixel streaming. What if you want to stream from a remote computer? And up until. Now, I thought it was like, oh, man, like, you got to, you know, do stuff in Linux, you have to do stuff on like AWS. Like, I I thought that there were all these steps to dealing with like turn servers and stun servers. And what I didn't realize was, um, and I don't know how recent this is, but uh, the the fine folks at TensorWorks, friends of the show, are actually in the, the plugin now basically has a PowerShell script that, as long as your ports are open, takes care of, like, 99% of everything. And you basically run that PowerShell script, and then suddenly, like, anyone can access um, uh, your Unreal Engine instance running on your computer from that IP address. They literally will just type in your public IP address from their phone, anything that's not on the network, and they are immediately in that Pixel streaming session. I plan on using this to great effect on Wednesday because uh, Wednesday, do you know what I'll be doing, Jacob? What's that? I will be playing with an Apple Vision Pro headset, and one of the things I want to test is the WebXR side of things. So I want to try try what I'm I'm literally going to do is have an instance running here on my home computer with remote pixel streaming set up and I'm going to put on the Apple Vision Pro, put in my home IP address and see how this WebXR, you know, quote unquote, uh, pixel streaming experience runs in the Apple Vision Pro.
1: That's going to be pretty cool. Now, fair warning, Apple might, you know, have a pretty nice security perimeter in their network. So uh, you might need to like tether and it might be pretty crappy, but I'm very curious to hear how that goes. Um, And and definitely we're going to have a long chat about apple vision pro after you get a chance to yeah I,
0: I know um i'm going to be signing a whole bunch of crazy ndas when i get there but until then we i can talk about all my grand yeah, plans exactly. which include uh testing things in unity testing things in unreal trying you know flat experiences versus more immersive experiences um i've got some things people are handing me to try out on their behalf so it should be a pretty good round robin it's like a seven hour developer day so uh, i should learn a lot from uh what we try out there
1: yeah that uh, yeah that sounds awesome and definitely we should chat more yeah. about that i, I want to make sure though i touch on one thing that that you mentioned in there about pixel streaming and stun and turn and public ip addresses like all this stuff um because this is these these are the things that you kind of don't think about when you're working with um Like any sort of service that you want to access remotely and like most people are very used to working inside of home networks because most services are just designed to work where you have your internal kind of local network you call this a LAN in in kind of networking terms Um, and that network is self-contained so like you know, your phone can Chromecast your TV, but it can't, like, Chromecast to the TV, you know, down the street. Um, you know, stuff like that is, is your local network, and then everything else is just the Internet. And from the outside looking back in, so if you're out in the Internet and you're looking at, you know, you know, your computer, you don't see every device that's inside your house. You just see one IP address that everything's coming from. That's, that's just kind of how, how inter, the internet, typically speaking, works. Or, like, networks typically are designed to work. So, when you have stuff like pixel streaming, all of a sudden you realize, man, there's all these complications to. Hey, what if I have like three different pixel streams and I want to expose those to someone on the internet, like Alex is trying to do? Well, the pixel streaming plugin, or, or the original design of, of the pixel streaming um, plugin, Technically speaking, you could have taken Unreal Engine and it exposed the ports directly. You know, it's like port 9000 or something like that. And if you had forwarded that, meaning you told your router, hey, see this computer? This computer is running a server, and I want I want that computer to be accessible on this port so that anyone who's looking at my home sees, an, um, you know, some blob but it has one port, that I specify goes to this computer, right? Um, and you could do that, but the 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 way you're supposed to, quote-unquote, is with stun and turn. So what stun and turn does is it, it kind of does this negotiation on your behalf um, where, and, and this is used all the time for services like this, where you have, let's say you have like 10 like pixel streaming servers running inside of your house and you somehow want to, you know, make all 10 accessible to, you know, the outside, it just, it actually really wouldn't be very practical or possible with most people's like home internet because you only have one IP address and it would be a mess, right? Um, So what Stun and Turn does is when you accept an incoming connection, so when someone from the internet hits like a specific port um, on your IP address, it essentially goes this through this negotiation process where it um, allows for the computer to, you know, the server to have a peer-to-peer connection, like a direct connection to some device externally. Um, and so, like, if, if anyone's used the something like Parsec or um, – Parsec is probably the best example most people would be familiar with, oh, yeah. which is like a, a remote – Computer access software that would use stun and turn in the exact same way. That's how you know you can have five computers in your Parsec account and out on the internet somewhere see all five and connect to individual computers. It's all just stun and turn. So it's even that like stun and turn is incredibly complicated, um, and some of it I wouldn't even profess to 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 know in depth, um, but it's it's really it, it's not fun it's not fun for those folks who have who have suffered through it so i i appreciate alex the <laughs> the 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 suffering you, you you know you've been through here
0: yeah and and the great thing to realize was just that i i really did suffer in vain like the whole time i was going through this process i was like oh i should really give a tutorial on this but i was trying so many things and it felt like whack-a-mole or darts or you know pin the tail on a donkey all those fun games that people used to play uh back when we were kids and uh i you know i i created linux as like a subsystem for windows and i started creating uh turn and stun configurations with that and there was like a dot conf file that like i couldn't figure out how to open and i had to you you know, understand like well you need something kind of like notepad but it runs in linux and you're going to launch it from there and then here's all the stuff you have to edit so i was going pretty far down the rabbit hole of like building stun and turn servers configurations on my own and then um, i realized at a certain point that there was a script inside the tensorworks pixel streaming folder that actually does all this on its own it, it actually like launches all of this Uh, And and I'm sure there's at least one of our listeners who's like foaming at the mouth being like, just tell me how to do it. And I actually can. I can tell you pretty much over audio exactly what needs to happen. So if you have built a project with pixel streaming in Unreal Engine, you are going to have a samples folder, right? And that samples folder in your built package uh, has the pixel streaming folder. So in the pixel streaming folder, you go into pixel streaming, web servers... Uh, you do your you know get pixel streaming servers.batch or dot sh if it's a, a Mac environment or Linux and that's how of course you build everything there and get the latest stuff from TensorWorks. Um, that's true, you know, regardless of, of what kind of pixel streaming you're doing. And then if you go into the signaling web server folder, you have config.json and you have cirrus.js. And in both of those files, there is a part where it asks what the public IP address is. And by default, it's going to be localhost. So, you know, your uh, yeah, 192.168. Um, no, 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 I'm sorry. That's, I'm thinking of like router. Dot zero, it, yeah. 127.0.0.1. Thank you, Jacob. Yeah, so all you have to do is in those two files, you change where it says public IP from localhost to your actual public IP address. So it's going to be, you know, a string of, of numbers. Uh, keep it inside quotes. That's very important. There's a mistake I made. You save both those files. And then you go into uh, platform underscore scripts, command or bash, depending on where you need to go. So in my case, command. And then in there, so in the same place where we have um, run underscore local batch file, which is in my tutorial already for how you start local pixel streaming, don't click that one. Instead, all the way at the bottom, there is a .ps1 file. So that's a PowerShell file. So if you right-click on that and you... uh, Sorry, I didn't tell you which file it is. So it's called startwithturn__signalingserver.ps1. <laughs> so it's a PowerShell file. If you right-click on it and you click run with PowerShell, as long as you have the right ports open, it is suddenly going to make your pixel streaming experience ready to um, run from anywhere. So then you can you know, launch the executable with your standard, uh, all the same stuff you would normally do for pixel streaming, uh, except in this case, of course, you're talking about that public IP address. Um, and all the other launch parameters work fine. And then at that point, anyone can come and access your computer uh, just through your IP address. Uh, the port, and I'm trying to remember the ports that you need to have open because the stun turn stuff is a little bit uh, different. So I, I can just tell you at least some of these ports were correct. I probably opened more ports than I needed, but I did port 3478, um, 80, 1194... And then twelve nine seven three and twelve nine seven four. So as long as you know you're okay opening more ports than is probably necessary, that's what I was able to do. And from that point on, everything with remote remote pixel streaming was working great for me.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm glad you uh, you pointed out that script. That's definitely that's definitely pretty useful. So then you decided to go a different route at some point, right? So t- tell me, tell me <laughs> yeah, what Yeah, so there, there were. <laughs>
0: Right. So there are a couple of things that I was trying to do here. Um, right. So I already mentioned, like updating our course. But then for uh, Christmas Carol uh, VR, which Jacob and I talked about at length last year, that's, of course, an ongoing show we do every year. And in the past, of course, we've always done this with pixel streaming. Um, this year, we're also trying to allow people to just download the experience and run it on their own local computers, uh, ideally through the Epic Game Store. But we'll get to that. And so one of the other fun things we wanted to have was for our cinematographer, um, where we're going to of course have like a live stream that's you know cutting to different camera angles and running on YouTube we wanted to let uh our camera operator Jackie Roman use the Vcam app from Unreal Engine which for those who don't know uses AR to allow you to like move a camera around and basically have it be this magic window into the Unreal Engine experience and so i thought well gee it's probably going to be running on my computer you know, we're going down to Miami uh, on Wednesday for Filmgate Interactive, where we're gonna be premiering the show in the first place. Uh, we're not gonna necessarily be running it locally from there. Uh, Jackie's gonna be traveling. So I was realizing that, like, I need to have a way that Jackie can run the VCAM app from her iPhone. And ideally, just always be connecting to my computer here at home, which I know will always be configured and up and running and ready to go. Uh, And I was trying to do that through remote pixel streaming. And I was trying to use the VCam app, which had some really fun little glitches. Like I noticed that um, if you have pixel streaming running uh, it will show you actually the drop down of like default streamer vcam and also if you have multiple instances of unreal engine that are set up for pixel streaming it will show you all of those i didn't realize that like you can actually have like 10 instances of unreal running and they will all show up as options for what view you want to see when you have pixel streaming going on Hmm. which is kind of fun but the vcam app was clearly not designed for this with remote pixel streaming because whenever i'd click on vcam as an option i would get a totally gray screen and so uh what i came to accept was like vcam just is not designed to be used with remote pixel streaming so then i went down the route of another thing that's intimidated me for a very long time which is uh, a vpn and for those who don't know a vpn is a a virtual private network i believe and it is for getting everyone uh on the same network with the same you know ipv4 style addresses and i've heard I've, it's been recommended to me to use this in the past for things like the multi-user editor in Unreal Engine, where if you want to have a bunch of people all looking like at the same map at the same time and you're all uh, editing things together uh, and really taking advantage of like the one file per actor stuff, then you know you want everyone on a VPN and that's going to be the best way to run that. Uh, anything you want to say, Jacob? Before I continue? Yeah, I, I mean,
1: um, I, th- I think you, I mean you, you're totally right. So a, a VPN, virtual <laughs> private network. A lot of people are probably familiar with it, with, like, ads for, like, NordVPN and, oh, let, let me access Netflix content in another yeah. country and stuff like that. Um,
0: yeah, most people think of it as, like, a privacy yeah. thing. Like, I'm trying to hide so, what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah, so it
1: is the same thing. Um, but it, it can be different in a couple cases, right? So, like, the, the essence of it, like Alex was saying, is to have everyone on the same in the same address space. And and I'm going to go back into networking terms for a second, but do it. You in networking, you call these subnets. So a subnet is like when you see an address, like uh, Alex gave a great example. One, one, nine, two dot one, six, eight dot zero dot one. Most people's home networks. And these are the local area networks I was talking about have a few addresses within 196.168, and that that grouping are called those those are called octets. Each one, so 196 and 168. Or sorry, 192 and 168. Um, that's just like an industry standard. But most people, if you if inside your browser right now, you went to 192.168.1.1, you would probably reach your router. Um, And that's just a matter of convention. Um, But with a subnet, you essentially give a router, the thing that, like, routes all the different Internet traffic all over the place, or even traffic within your house, like, to different devices. Those devices essentially acquire a range of addresses that it considers its own. So like 192.168 in most people's houses is your local area network. And so every new device that you add to your Wi-Fi and everything else gets an IP address in that range. So usually, you know, it's kind of like 192.168 is fixed, and then the next two octets are what changes every time you add an address. Now if someone external to your house typed in 192.168.1.1, they would not get your router, right? That would be pretty silly. Um, Yeah. And that's why it's called a subnet. Like, not all subnets are the internet. In the internet, you have public IP addresses, which are the exact same thing. Um, But it's agreed upon that the internet is the network that has, you know, everything connected to it. And so, like public IP the addresses worldwide. are a bit different, um, but essentially all VPN does is when you go ahead and like log into Nord VPN or any sort of VPN, what it's going to do is acquire an IP address inside of the subnet of the thing you're connecting to and then your device is essentially going to mimic as if it has that IP address even though it might have a separate local IP address, it might have something else so from the perspective of someone who's receiving your traffic it looks like your traffic is coming from an IP address at this remote location but from your local device like it kind of looks normal right? like you're just receiving traffic from the internet so like from from a privacy perspective, like again if you're like trying to watch stuff on Netflix uh, that you know you can't get in your country your traffic is essentially getting bundled up saying all right you're going to send it to this server that acts as a VPN and that server is going to like wrap it up put a lock and key on it say no the IP address is actually this and then send it off like that's that's how it works like for something like NordVPN but there's a whole lot of other VPN solutions out there That are designed for like what really you call bridging which means like you have two remote sites or you have devices that are spread out that you want to share a single subnet like you want to kind of all have the same ip address space so that like if any device within this network searches up an ip address it's not getting just some random like let's go back to that router example like so any of these devices, when they hit up 192.168.1.1, they get the router of your the the network that you've created, right? Um, so VPNs, like I said, can can be very complicated, and they have a whole lot of of different use cases. But for something like what Alex is describing here, it's definitely useful if you like want to have a bunch of devices to reach a um, a specific IP address like within within a home or you know within an office like all those are, are great use cases and probably yeah. people uh, have used one even if they don't think they've used one
0: yeah, a lot of times if you get handed like an office computer like a laptop or something it'll be pre-configured. With, um, yeah, an office VPN, which gets used for a lot of different things, but also like, you know, monitoring what you're doing. <laughs> In some cases, making sure that you're staying productive, you know, as the case may yeah. be.
1: Yeah, I, there's definitely a, a, a wide range there. Most offices and like most IT people will have you create a VPN um, because what it means is that all your traffic is going to get funneled into the like your office or some footprint that they control before it reaches the internet. And so they're able to filter everything. They're able to, you know, block you from reaching certain sites, stuff like that. Like it folks really like it because it kind of creates a single point of entry and exit for all of the traffic from the internet that they can then kind of control better. Um, because it, again, it's like your device is getting an IP address at that remote location. And so as far as the internet is concerned, that's your IP address. Um,
0: yeah. Now, now, a misconception I had, uh, Jacob. Do all VPNs cost money? No, they definitely do not. Um,
1: <laughs> but th- there are definitely lots that do cost money. Um, <laughs> but for example, like OpenVPN is probably one of the most popular um, solutions mm-hmm. out there. It's not. A, I wouldn't exactly call it straightforward either. Um, I think that would be a little generous. But it's it's definitely pretty ubiquitous, and so if if you like, I don't know, like I, I have a, a Unify router that I use in my home and it has an mm-hmm. option to like import an open VPN config um, to connect to, you know, a network somewhere else. Um, so it's it's pretty common. But Tailscale, I think, was the one I mentioned to you, Alex, and, and that's a really nice yes. uh, free solution um, that I, I, I'm i curious. Did you get a chance to try out?
0: No, I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but it was interesting to see that kind of like what you're just describing, Jacob, that I started to go down the rabbit hole of like configuring all the OpenVPN stuff from scratch. And then I realized that my router also, and this is fairly common for routers, um, does have a way that kind of streamlines this built in. So I have a, a Netgear Nighthawk router. And if I go into my uh, router configuration settings, which a lot of times will be 192.168.2.1, a lot of Netgear routers are uh, also www.routerlogin.net, and if you're on your home network, it'll go to your router page. In the advanced section and then advanced setup, there is in fact an option that says VPN service, and so the Netgear router... Um, is in fact connected to OpenVPN uh, or gives you the option to. So there's a little checkbox. And then something else, I guess, to be aware of is it, it told me at least it's like, okay, so uh, if you want to use the OpenVPN setup here, you either need to have a static IP address, which is pretty rare if you have a, a standard kind of like consumer home internet, or you need dynamic DNS, And uh, I did not think I had a method for making sure I had a static IP address from home. So I went the dynamic DNS route. And that also was able to be configured mostly from uh, my advanced settings in uh, my Nighthawk router. So right above the VPN service section, there's dynamic DNS. And there is the ability to do this either through Netgear's dynamic DNS service, noip.com or dyndns.org. And so you... You know create a free account you put your login settings there it's kind of like setting up um a website but you only need the dns settings you don't need all the the other stuff and then you're pretty much good to go and so then i did a test where i got off of my um uh home network so i was just using like my cell phone data plan and then i hit the little toggle in the uh, open vpn app which i think is called like open vpn connect so suddenly it says okay you're connected to your home network which by the way would mean that if i was in a different country i could watch united states netflix if i wanted to but it also meant that i could now open the vcam app in unreal engine and it thinks i'm still on my home network so then whoop i've connected to the vcam app and now i have this way to you know walk through an unreal engine experience like our christmas carol world and operate a camera uh, which is really fun, which also made me realize, though, that it's also just a very cool way to demo any Unreal Engine project that any of our listeners might have and want to show off, because you can just have the project running on your you know, powerful home desktop computer, and then you could be at a conference or at a you know, networking event or something and say, hey, by the way, check out this Unreal Engine experience I made. You pull up the VCam app. Uh, You know you're using a VPN you go into there and then you let people just use an iPad or a phone or, or whatever to like walk around the experience and get a pretty good sense of like how it feels no need for a VR headset or anything like that. It's just like a cool little like virtual scouting tool for moving around any Unreal Engine project. Uh, and the, the virtual camera, by the way, for anyone who hasn't tried it before, very straightforward. You need the virtual camera plugin enabled in Unreal Engine. And then you need to drag the virtual camera into your scene. And uh, then you just need to make sure it's enabled. And then there's all sorts of crazy touch interface tools for changing film back and exposure and flying around. But you don't have to touch any of those. Like at its core, it's like you're holding a camera and you can walk around with it.
1: Very cool. And one last note on VPNs, and then I promise I'll, I'll stop boring yeah. people with this content. But um, if you do decide to, like, go inside your router and play around and, like, set up VPNs and stuff like that, just remember that, typically speaking, like, VPNs require actual, like, computation to happen. And so if you do not have a fairly modern or, you know fairly robust router you might find that the performance of your VPN is is pretty poor um, just because they're not built with essentially CPUs fast enough to handle it um, so definitely like <laughs> if you enable VPN then you're like oh my god why is it why is everything so slow all of a sudden well you might be actually just throttling the hardware you're running on so keep that in mind when you're running a, a, a VPN. Um, Another thing to consider and and one of the reasons I recommended something like TailScale um, is TailScale is super interesting because you essentially just install it on any device that you want to access remotely or in again you're just building this subnet you just install it on everything you want it gets allocated an IP address right away and then on any new device you log into Tailscale and all your devices are there and accessible and it has DNS and everything else. Um so it's pretty nice um because that means that the physical hardware device that you're running on also is doing all of the stream encoding, decoding, like all the traffic stuff on your local computer. Um, and so if you have a computer that like has a CPU in it, which all computers should. Um, but particularly if it's like a gaming PC that has a modern CPU in it, you'll see a, some pretty decent performance there. Um, and and yeah, so definitely, I, I definitely recommend something like Tailscale if you're just kind of getting interested in this stuff. Um, but like OpenVPN is definitely industry standard. You'll see a lot um, of people talk about things like IPsec, which is just another like protocol for setting these up, um, which in my opinion is just, Way too complicated. Um, But definitely, it's an interesting topic, and and I recommend everyone, like, check out something like Tailscale if they're interested in setting up their own kind of network like this.
0: Yeah. Uh, And a a little bit of information about the rabbit hole I went down was comparing OpenVPN and WireGuard, which is another free VPN service and the consensus from, you know, the Reddit community seemed to be that open VPN is a little more complicated to set up if you don't have the benefit of like a router that helps you out, but it, it works for a wider variety of configurations and WireGuard is one that is a lot easier to set up than open VPN, but the, it has narrower um, configurations and use cases yep. for yeah what you can do with it. Yeah. I, I should mention
1: uh, that the, the major difference between like uh, um stuff like WireGuard, OpenVPN, IPsec, all this stuff. And TailScale is that by default, TailScale does not funnel all the traffic through one node, right? Um, it's essentially creating like you know, like a mesh, like everything is kind of interconnected in a way. Um, you can configure that, I guess, in, in TailScale. You can create what are called exit nodes, and an exit node is where you funnel traffic to to reach the, the internet or, or some other service. Um, so there, there is a bit of a difference there, worth calling out. Um, I, I've actually never played around with WireGuard, but um,
0: yeah, cool. And uh, one last thing, when I was mentioning earlier, the ports that I had my uh, ISP open, twelve nine seven three and twelve nine seven four, I did those specifically for VPN. Those weren't related to remote pixel streaming.
1: That's that's interesting. Twelve nine, I, I think maybe just ISPs don't open anything over. 9,000 or something like that. That's weird.
0: Yeah. Also, I was... And I don't know if they did open it. I think they did. Technically, for Optimum at least, they won't open up port 80 unless you're a business customer, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's super easy to get pretty wrecked. Um, because, like, anything could, like, start up uh, an HTTP, like, server and just start serving files off your computer. Um, just because most like most security networks are just designed to accept port 80. So like if you're doing this over the internet, like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, But then again, it's also just a nice feature to have in a a lot of cases, if you're like trying to build a website and you want to, you know, try it out. But
0: yeah. Yeah. Good for testing. Cool. Um, Ready to move on. Next topic. Yeah, we probably should before I uh, put someone to sleep (laughs) talking about VPNs. I really hope this is interesting to like, you know, five five people listening. Please let us know. Uh, we always enjoy reading the comments and all that. It's it's uh, great to hear what people are interested in us talking about because Jacob and I have such a wide range of interests, you know, we can pretty much uh, jump on about anything, you know, maybe we'll do a, a Lord of the Rings episode sometime oh, we should. or something like we that. Should. We got to find yeah. an
1: Unreal Engine kind of call, you know, tie in there. Did they make that yeah, I'm game? sure there's
0: someone out there building Middle Earth in Unreal Engine. That wouldn't be a hard Google search. Wait, there
1: was like a really bad Lord of the Rings game that came out recently. Um, oh, the Gollum one? Yeah. Like, was that Unreal yeah. Engine by chance?
0: Oh, I hope not. Oof, uh... <laughs> that was embarrassing. Uh,
1: um, I'm going to look that up. We, we should. We should uh...
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick, before I forget, quick commercial break. Uh, yesterday or two days ago... Uh, My talk from Unreal Fest came out, so if you actually go to the official Unreal Engine channel, you'll see um, they have a talk called A New Virtual Reality, A 5,000-square-foot VR Experience for the Four Seasons, Lake Austin, uh, Private Residences. And this is the 53-minute long talk that uh, Jose Urbe, Neil Griffiths, and I gave to talk about our crazy project that we've been hinting at a little bit in the project. So this is the most public information we've ever been able to give about the project you actually get to see what the the showroom looks like uh hear a lot about the unreal engine tips and tricks we learned along the way crazy stuff with like local multiplayer and uh, i hope people enjoy that talk so be sure to check it out if you're interested in such things
1: yeah very cool
0: cool i have have a
1: lot of unreal fest talks i gotta catch up on um just yeah
0: most of the ones i'm waiting for still haven't been posted yet um I, like i really want to see uh, uh chris murphy's you know annual <laughs> yeah. thousands of tips in unreal engine that's not out yet so i got a new um headline here uh so jacob here's the here's the news for you yep. the epic game store still isn't profitable nearly five years after launch subheading not so epic says IGN. <laughs> that's a
1: good one actually yeah yeah
0: so before I, I give kind of my my take on all this, what's your what's your visceral reaction to this? Does this make sense to you? Is it surprising? What, yeah. What my comes to my mind?
1: visceral reaction is that this isn't surprising at all. Um, with how competitive these stores are, the fact that they've been giving away free games, you know, usually that's a sign that you're trying to buy up market share. Um, and man, that's that's a really tough like business to to build. Because you're competing against lots of services that are doing the exact same thing. Like you're not really innovating that much on the game store idea, you know. And I know from my perspective, like I've bought games on Steam, you know, just because I it was open on my computer and the Epic Game Store wasn't. But if (laughs) but if the Epic Game Store was already open, I would buy it in there. You know, it's like there's really I have I have no like affinity
0: towards either one i so yeah yeah i don't know i mean for anyone with a steam deck i think like you can play epic game store games on the steam deck but it requires a few steps to get there um so i definitely lean naturally toward buying things on steam just because you know it's going to be so easy to pull it up also for vr you know like a lot of people don't even know that games you get from the epic game store that are compatible with VR, things like Subnautica and whatnot. They will run in VR, but there's no there's no like pop-up that tells you like, oh hey, like Steam VR is active now or the Oculus runtime is active. So I know a lot of people who do buy VR games, they're like, well I can't buy it on the Epic Game Store because I need to run Steam VR and they don't realize that the two are not mutually exclusive. You can actually have that working. Um, I know people complain a lot about the Epic Game Store not having reviews. Um, the fact that you know the Epic Game Store has had some timed exclusives. Which also is seen a little bit as like kind of anti-competitive and not good for the larger ecosystem. Um, for me personally, I just really want the Epic Games launcher—forget about the store—to load faster. Like, I just yeah. want to be able to get everything in there running quicker. And I'm surprised after all these years, like it still feels slow even on a very powerful computer.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I, I mean, they put a lot of focus into like how many different authentication methods you could use which is definitely appreciated yeah. um i had some issues in the past where i like i had bought a game on an email and then used a different you know authentication method that i felt was like more logical later on and then i was like where's my game and had to go through a whole you know i so i i don't know um but it doesn't surprise me at all that it's it's not profitable i mean you're taking what's their cut now? It's like twelve percent,
0: like eighteen percent, I think. Uh, yeah, something, it went up something recently.
1: Eighteen percent. Um, mm. I mean, that's a lot. You know, like they're 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 getting a cut, um, but it's you know that entire segment is really just a race to the bottom, right? Like you're just lowest prices. You know. With, and i hadn't even thought about the steam deck stuff i mean that's very true i i don't have one and i'm i'm thinking maybe I, at some point i'll need to they just released that oled version which is, i is i have cool. it right next to me oh really <laughs> you got it already oh man you, you, yeah. you suck man you get all the fun stuff um
0: <laughs> they're they're all things we use for work like we bring the stuff to conferences and show stuff on yeah it. <laughs>
1: i got to get i got to figure out how to justify you know expensing that one um but uh yeah no i i hadn't thought about that but that's a very good point you know the hardware um that that steam is making now yeah, definitely has a pull for folks but realistically uh, i guess without a steam deck i don't care right like i'll buy it on either and that just doesn't seem like a sustainable business um so
0: yeah and and i think everyone is is still kind of waiting for like something that is a a a friction difference or like something where epic can clearly say like here's why it is so much easier more fun whatever to use uh games purchased on the epic game store versus steam and it hasn't really felt like there's been a good case for that made yet no i haven't seen anything um you would think that like even
1: more it would be like highlighting unreal engine games uh or, like, there'd be some sort of synergy there, but I haven't really seen that either. I, I, but I, right, like, yeah. I feel for them that I, like, I don't know, how, how would you how would you innovate the games marketplaces? Well, that kind of died when, I mean, when
0: GameStop died, you know? I, I mean, literally just riffing on what you just said about, like, highlighting things like made in Unreal. I mean, how cool would it be if every Unreal Engine game you bought off the Epic Games Marketplace had, like, some kind of... For lack of a better term, like easy modding attached. Like, mind you, it's not that difficult to mod things, but just a, a s- yeah. simple route through the Epic Game Store where it's like anything made with Unreal Engine, you're going to be able to extract certain assets or environments or something from those games. Or they did something like, again, like
1: that you, VR plugin, right? Like, where you're able to put everything right. in VR. Right. Yeah. The and...
0: injector from uh, Prey Dog. Yeah. yeah. That's a good so point. make something like that official in the Epic Game Store, and it it becomes a reason to uh, get certain games on the Epic Game Store, and for people to even think about building more of a community around the Unreal Engine specific game that they're making.
1: Yeah, uh, this is a good point. Maybe we uh, maybe they need to buy that off- idea off us,
0: Alex. Uh, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, please. We don't have any sponsors yet. We're not even trying to get sponsors. But if someone wanted to come to us and say, hey, by the way, <laughs> Epic likes that idea and wants to pay yeah, for it, it that'd be great. Let
1: us know. <laughs> Let us know. No, yeah, I, so what are the details in here? Like, What was reported?
0: Yeah. So th- this is from a testimony um, related to I think the, the Google lawsuit going on right now. I'll, I'll just give a quick skim of this. Um, Epic has thrown buckets of despite all the ah, they don't give any extra information here. I, I guess the idea was just that. Yeah. Epic Game Store boss Steve Allison said on the witness stand that while the store isn't profitable yet, Epic's goal is still primarily growth according to the verge emails revealed during the epic versus apple trial actually suggested the company was hoping to claim half of all pc gaming revenue right okay
1: interesting yeah um yeah i mean to say it's like growth focus is like yeah that's just like you're trying to buy up market share which is again what i kind of expected they're just giving yeah. away free games so, you know but um
0: Right. And so when the standard is still, you know, app store for Google and Apple and the MetaQuest store, they all take 30% off the top. And as of this writing, which is from a couple of days ago, it says the Epic Game Store continues to off publish, offer publishers and developers an eighty-eight-twelve revenue split compared to Valve taking a 30% cut. So, yeah. Um, oh, right. And Epic also launched the first run program, which trades 100% of revenue for six months of PC exclusivity. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, all those are compelling. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that's great for some games. I think if you're a AAA game developer, you're going to be launching it on every platform you can. Yeah. Um, Like, especially since Epic doesn't have a first-party console or something else. You know, it's like you, you can't do. You're not Microsoft, where you have you know your own game store streaming platform you know pc os and hardware and console and everything right and like it's it's a bit different um so yeah i i don't see a compelling reason for a, like yeah for triple a dev they'll make more money on epic game store maybe um but they don't But have, if they
0: only get 20 yeah. percent of the purchases yeah
1: yeah they're not gonna you know, take that risk. So, I don't know. It, it seems tricky. It doesn't surprise me necessarily, but uh, yeah. I, I wish them the best. Like, I don't think it's a bad, you know, platform. Mm-hmm. I, I I just don't think it's. Actually, I think Steam is is pretty. Pretty bad overall. Like it seems old, and like there's, it's still pretty hard to find good games. Like, yeah, I was in like a GameCube. Like they do those things where it's like, oh, check out your GameCube, you know, all the games that you might want to play, and it was just mm-hmm. terrible. It was like, <laughs> like, how do you possibly think this is what I'm interested in? Like, right? I, I yeah, it, it was very strange. Um, yeah, that that whole platform feels old, and yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. Um, it, it doesn't stop me, I guess, because I'll go on to Steam when I know what I want to buy. Um, right. Which I guess is, is part of the point. But I actually yeah. think if I were to like look for a new game, I, I probably would go to that Epic game store. So maybe there is something there, but yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, so talk to talk a little bit about my personal experience with this stuff recently. So again, I'm going to keep talking about Christmas Carol things cause that's 80% of my time right now. We wanted to get this year's Christmas Carol VR experience um, ideally available on Steam and the Epic game store. We hit a brick wall pretty quick with Steam because Steam right now is very anti-AI. And as uh, devout listeners of the show will remember from our little Charles Dickens experiment uh, on the show, we have in world AI as part of our experience... And it didn't cause Steam to outright reject our app, but it caused them to stop responding to our questions about, hey, is it okay that we have an AI character that we're using at the beginning of this live show? So we, we kind of gave up on Steam and said, okay, fine. And Tim Sweeney had a, a Twitter post where he's like, hey, anyone doing AI? Come to the Epic Game Store. <laughs> and we thought, great. So we got everything set up in the Epic Game Store a few months ago, and we were doing, like, internal dev tests, and then uh, tickets went on sale a few days ago, and we're like, okay, great, let's uh, make this public so that other people can download the experience. And then we saw, oh, wait, there's there's still a bit of a review process. Okay, that makes sense. We're like, we should have pushed this for review sooner in order to make it public. But then we thought, well, at least what we can do is we can get a bunch of codes, because uh, I have plenty of friends who have done things like this on Steam, where even if something is still internal, they're giving out like early access promotional review code kind of stuff, and anyone can enter that and get the game. Uh, we realized way too late that you can't do that with the Epic game store. You still have to go through the review process. There's still like these other steps of um, getting to a point where Epic needs to like sign off on you giving out internal codes. Now there is one thing we could do, which would be we could literally add people one by one uh, as like internal play testers where we say like they're part of our organization and they're like a player group. Um, But The thing that's confusing with the the epic game store is you can give them all codes and if they enter those codes in the epic game store it'll say redeemed it'll just say redeemed it won't even say what but nothing will actually happen and it makes it very confusing to give out those codes and not understand if it worked properly for someone because uh what needs to happen is when they redeem it it needs to say redeemed and actually say the thing that you know, actually uh, worked. And it's only going to work if their email. Oh, I'm sorry. No, here's where it gets really bad. It's not their email. It's their Epic ID number. So here's the other thing you have to ask every single person to go into their Epic account, go to their account settings and find that super long string of like numbers and letters. That's the thing that you need to put in to, you know, in this case, the Agile Lens account for every single person who is going to uh, be getting a code. So, at, long story short, at the moment we're like, oh, like we're, we're gonna wait and see, and hopefully the app gets approved uh, for the Epic Game Store. But in the meantime, it's like Google Drive, folks. Like you can get it off Google Drive. It's not too big of a download. Hopefully that'll be okay. Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> that's that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I hope. Did, did they say how long the review process is?
0: I heard anything from a few days to a few weeks, and it just depends how backed up their queue is and. You know, I'm sure things like holidays don't help. Um, So who knows? We we've just decided not to rely on it, and if uh, if it comes through, it'll be a nice bonus to tell people, hey, this will actually be available. Um, The thing we were most excited about was version control. Yeah. Uh, When we've done the show in the past entirely through pixel streaming, it's been very easy to you know spin up our our uh, kind of like golden image where it's like here's the latest build, and now this is exactly what everyone else is going to have. All in the same specs, you know, everyone's going to have an RTX A6000. And that's very straightforward. In this case, um, we were like, well, gee, like we're going to keep updating the build because we always have new features we want to add and little bugs we want to smooth out. Um, But now we needed a way to make sure that people are patching the build properly so that no one's using an older build to join a live show that's uh, two weeks from when they downloaded it. And so we were hoping Steam or the Epic Game Store would at least be showing people, hey, there's an update. Um, And in the meantime, we just pushed a feature last night that's a a very straightforward thing where when you open up the experience, when you get to the lobby, it will tell you in big letters your current version, what the latest version is, and if you should update. So, you know, it's not perfect, but it's like an okay system for all the lessons we're learning right now.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, that that all makes sense to me, though. Um, So, like... Can we get some 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 hints on what's to come with, with the Christmas Carol for, for those devout Yeah, sure. There? We
0: can do a little preview. Uh, first of all, I want to make sure our listeners know that right now there is a Black Friday discount code. If you go to xmascarolvr.com, which I've got on the screen behind us, um, and you enter code what day is it, <laughs> uh, it is our Black Friday sale. And you can actually get 50% off the ticket sales. Um, so over here, we've got xmascarolvr.com slash tickets. And we've got two different experiences. So we have our live stream, which, again, we'll be using vCam. And I've I've got this cool camera system set up, which audience members can try out as well if they're using the interactive version. And they can snap between different cameras using the keyboard keys one through nine. Uh, I designed the system that basically attaches to different metahuman bones. So it'll have like a consistent over-the-shoulder shot looking toward another character or like a wide shot or a rotating aerial shot. Uh, So it's kind of a fun like cinematography game people can play on their own. That's all with the interactive pass. Um, If they wanted to do that themselves, the live stream pass is like a YouTube channel. So you just get to watch the live show um, and enjoy it with your family, sit on the couch with your friends, family, Enemies and uh, that looks really good. You, we'll, we'll be doing that on a very high-end version of uh, the experience, running on a RTX 4090. Uh, but you'll also see all the people who are like interactively in it. So the interactive experience it will work both on, in VR and also in kind of your standard 3D uh, game environment. Uh, we do have a little thing that runs at the beginning if you download the free lobby experience, and that will actually tell you, "Hey, your computer actually isn't powerful enough to run the show. Sorry." Uh, And in that case, like we might, you know, help people out with pixel streaming. But first, we want to see how many people tell us their computer isn't running well with it. Um, But yes, we've got a little like download the application for your PC here. It's it's going to kind of trap you in the lobby until you've bought a ticket. And then there's kind of an escape room game and it gives you the steps to uh, doing the escape room. And that's actually how you access the full live show. Um, You'll also notice that it says season pass. So we decided this year because in all the previous years we've done this, the show changes so much over the the number of shows we've done. And this year we're doing more shows than we've ever done before. So rather than selling a ticket to an individual show, we decided to actually go for like a bit of a a season pass model here where you can pick to say basically like, here's the first show I want to go to whatever. And it's useful to see when all the performances are. Um, Yeah. I think back on the, the first page, we have all the list of performances, yeah, here we go. So starting Friday, December 1st, going through Sunday, uh, the 24th, and we're basically saying buy a ticket, but then come to as many of the shows as you want, because every single one is going to be different. There's always things that we're adding, trying out, testing. Um, There's a much more interactive component with the audience this year because everyone in the audience has the ability to like type things out that will appear below them or speak them. Um, And then Ari Tar and Debbie Deer, who are our live actors, they'll be able to see those things and respond to you. And uh, it's going to be fun. And of course, the AI thing is quite nice as well, because you get to have this great conversation with AI Charles Dickens Um, at the beginning so yeah it's gonna be a fun show jacob yeah i'm I'm excited i i've gotten a chance to see it um since
1: you started doing it i'll definitely be watching it again it's it's something i look forward to every year honestly it's uh, it's always a great time and you you've really been uh pushing the boundaries this year so i can't wait to see uh see everything (laughs) you're doing
0: Yeah, it's definitely our our, our little sandbox. It's like our excuse every year to take all the things we've been messing with and learning and then putting it into something that feels very much like our vision and not client work so you know we do a thing for Vodafone to have like an AI showroom with a metahuman who can talk to you about a car and we take everything we learn from that client project and then we bring it over into you know Christmas Carol same stuff with the pixel streaming things that we've done for other clients same stuff with uh, the multiplayer system if you watch the four seasons talk and hear me talk about us designing our own multiplayer system same thing happening in Christmas Carol now it will look to you like you're in a multiplayer experience Unreal will not think you're in a multiplayer experience. Unreal will think it's all single player. There's no replication or anything like that. But we're sending the same mocap data and OSC and all this stuff to everyone at the same time, which actually allows us to have a lot more control over everything that's happening. And you don't run into a lot of the problems with a typical host Uh, client model where the host needs to do something first before it can happen for everyone else. That's particularly a problem when it comes to things like loading levels where the host needs to load the entire level first and then all the clients load it. So you essentially double the load time.
1: Oh, interesting. Huh. I hadn't thought about that. Well, that's, that's very good. It sounds like, uh, yeah, this is part of that talk you were mentioning, uh, the Unreal Fest talk.
0: Yeah, the Four Seasons talk, I, I go into a little bit of detail about uh, how we needed to set up the whole lo- lo- local multiplayer system um, using a kind of proprietary multiplayer method uh, that we built ourselves. And I think there's going to be a course about this as well uh, for the authorized training stuff. And we will teach it as part of our authorized training center in Manhattan, too. Um, oh, also, fun fact on that, I queried the the socials about if people would be interested in a like, five-day Uh, series of courses all around virtual reality and using virtual reality in unreal engine and that got a really good response so keep an eye on alexcoulombpresents.com and we will probably have an announcement in the next couple weeks about a week of those vr courses sometime in february cool
1: yeah i i mean maybe i need to take that i haven't uh done any vr development (laughs) in quite a long time so I, yeah. I could use a refresher.
0: Speaking of uh, virtual reality development in Unreal Engine, uh, time for a PSA. So yeah. we decided to upgrade Christmas Carol from 5.2 to 5.3 to take full advantage of single pass, you know, stereo instancing with Lumen and Nanite, among some other neat features. But we are doing face tracking with the MetaQuest Pro. Uh, so, yes, we needed the MetaXR plugin for 5.3. We upgraded everything else. We got all of our Rococo ducks in a row and everything we're doing with Agora for audio and WebSockets and all that. That was all fine upgrading from 5.2 to 5.3. If you go and you download the MetaXR plugin for Unreal Engine, they're going to give you a couple warnings, which are good to know. Like, oh, hey, if you want to play VR in the editor, you need to disable OpenXR first. Oh, that's something that hasn't been true for a long time. You got to re-enable it whenever you're going to make a build fine it's a little bit annoying but okay uh we ran into this problem though where we noticed all of a sudden when we upgraded to 5.3 we weren't getting any build errors no packaging problems but anytime we would try to run the build it wouldn't open in vr and i had a very late night going through this being like what is going on like i've got a vr template simple project that has the meta XR plugin working and everything's fine. It's packaging fine. It's running in VR fine. And then we have our project, which which isn't working. So I then embarked on a bit of a a ship of Theseus scenario. Jacob, are you familiar with the ship of Theseus? Yes, I am. (laughs) Why don't you tell our listeners very briefly what that is? (laughs) Sure. The
1: the ship of Theseus is uh, the philosophical discussion around if you take a, well, it's, it's around some, I don't know, Greek, ancient myth mythical boat where you take every plank apart and you put it back together somewhere else is it still the ship of theseus or is it more than the sum of its parts is the Mm -hmm. tldr
0: yeah so i ended up doing something similar where it's like i started with I have this VR template project. It's working. Everything's behaving the way I wanted to in a packaged build. And I was slowly replacing, you know, all my enhanced input actions and all my content with everything from our Christmas Carol project. And it's like still working, still working, still working. And I got to the point where I had literally migrated the entire project (laughs) over to the VR template project. And like, it's working, it's fine, it's great. So I, I sent a message at like 4 a.m. in the morning to the team, like, hey, I don't know what I solved. Maybe there's a corrupted asset or something. And everyone said, cool, like, go ahead and push it. So I pushed it onto the GitHub. Everyone tried to build it, and it still wasn't opening in VR. <laughs> so, Jacob, can you guess what we discovered the problem actually was?
1: Uh, Git and source control.
0: Git, yes. For some reason, and this is specific to the MetaXR 5.3 plugin, if you try to package any project from git any kind of source control going on it won't give you any errors when you're packaging but it will not open in vr it's the most bonkers bug i've ever encountered and i tried it with like just the vr template like i just brought it in created a new you know github project tried to package it won't open in vr <laughs> huh.
1: that's pretty interesting that's like yeah uh yeah and, no and also, guesses, not maybe.
0: that a lot of people are, are using the um, the face tracking and the eye tracking from the MetaQuest Pro, especially over Oculus Link, but that doesn't work at all with the um, MetaXR 5.3 plugin in standalone. So in our case, what we realized is if we do want to be in 5.3, which we do, we actually need to use the MetaXR fork of Unreal Engine 5.3 in order to get all those features working. And Fun fact: If you do use the MetaXR fork of Unreal Engine five point three, it will package from Git. So there's just something weird that happened weird. when they went from their total, you know, offshoot of uh, of Unreal Engine five point three and saying, "Hey, everyone, here's a plugin. It should give you all those features." Not true. <laughs>
1: Interesting. So, man, I have so many questions, but um, I, I won't. I won't get too into it. But like if you took the zip folder of the project and like moved it to another computer, did it work or?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I um, could do it on the same computer. So I would literally, you know, I, I'd pull all the latest changes that everyone had, um, try to package it, no VR. I then copy everything, literally everything in the folder, except for the, you know, invisible folder. And I'm including drive data cache and intermediate and saved. Uh, yeah. and it's over there in a new folder that isn't connected to source control at all. And I open it up, and I package it, and everything works. VR works. Um, it's utterly bizarre. Jacob. So whatever.
1: <laughs> so then you just got to check what Git is ignoring, which is probably all your drive data, cache, and everything else, right?
0: But Git ignore and uh, those should not affect packaging at you would all, think. right? Yeah, because th- that's more for when you're like pushing to you know source.
1: <laughs> kind of sounds like uh, someone at at Meta is is. Uh... Writing out some important data to temporary locations and and yeah. screwing you over. I'm sorry to hear that.
0: There's something weird going on. And I, by the way, I did actually try just deleting my uh, my gitignore and my um, what's the other one that's in a typical folder. I, I deleted like everything related to that except for the git folder. Um, and yeah, it didn't affect anything.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Weird. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh get attributes that's the other one yeah i deleted get attributes and get ignore so like leave all this alone you know i even tried pushing those changes in case that mattered and um yeah no dice so just want to warn people that if you're pulling your hair out because things aren't running properly that could be the problem that's very strange (laughs) yeah okay i got one more thing to uh to rant about and then um we can probably call it a night um Apple Jacob, I am I yeah. you've missed the past few weeks with me like being an Apple user for the first time since 1995 really. <laughs> I already went through this with moving over to iPhone uh, after nothing but Android phones for a very long time. That was relatively smooth like I still think things like autocorrect are better on Android than iPhone, but like I'm pretty happy with, you know, the iPhone 12 Pro Max I had and the iPhone uh, 15 that I have now. But then I got a Mac because of the Apple Vision Pro development stuff. It's like I used to develop stuff on Unity for Mac a while ago, but I never actually bought a Mac because using Unity Cloud, you could do all the Xcode stuff through, through the cloud, which was quite nice. So I was able to deploy um, all of my apps and everything that we were doing without actually owning a Mac. Um, for the Apple Vision Pro stuff, I know that for this workshop I'm going to on Wednesday, they want you to bring your own equipment. And I was like, OK, time for us to bite the bullet and get something. Um, so I bought a Mac Mini, a uh, pretty good deal on it. It was like $1,300 with an M2 uh, Pro. Uh, and then it only had 512 gigabytes of space. But I thought, no problem. I, I'll just connect a 8 terabyte uh, a- SSD drive to it, like a, an external drive. Uh, no, no, that doesn't work. Mac really does not like uh dealing with anything external like all the stuff i was trying to do with unreal engine um especially with perforce and ugs got real real angry at me and uh, Hmm. i was yeah getting pretty frustrated uh for the first like couple weeks of of trying to use that
1: weird that's very strange what kind of like errors were you getting
0: uh python errors i was getting a lot of python errors that talk about like you know ufs mount not expected blah 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 that kind of stuff um and then what was the other thing too oh and i also just kept running out of space and i don't know if that's like a drive data cache thing or something like that but as much as i was trying to put as many things as i could off onto my external drive um they just still uh, for some somehow my cache or whatever was still filling up uh that 512 gigabytes on the main drive pretty quick also um about a week into using the mac mini the hard drive stopped being recognized on startup and the only way i could get the hard drive to appear again was by using disk cleanup and disk cleanup would take or not disk cleanup disk uh what's it called like uh, disk management or something so i need to run this like diagnostic thing and at some point in that process it recognizes the hard drive again and then everything's running but like boy what a headache if i needed to like jump into <laughs> something really quick
1: i've never heard of and, any ooh. of this i feel like i feel like you really angered the Mac God somewhere. I, I don't know. Like I've had a lot of Macs. I, I've never heard of, of some of this stuff, man, but the,
0: yeah, 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 I'm getting the impression. This is unusual <laughs> to, two more quick, yeah, yeah, yeah. weird things that happened the first time the Mac told me, Oh, by the way, we need to update to a new version of OS X or whatever. I said, great. Uh, it did the update it restarted and said like something's wrong everything needs to be like reformatted and i was like i just did the update that you told me to do why I, did this I've, happen? that's
1: that's dude i have <laughs> never had any i've had a lot of macs i've never had any of this happen that's wild that's I, yeah. I really think you like it sensed your hesitation um and decided to just do you in for this for this experience like you're not a mac user get out of here you know
0: yeah. Yeah. But I, I have learned a lot. Like I I know so many terminal commands now and so many things related to like. Yeah. I mean, like I finally figured out how to use like uh, homebrew and installed a bunch of things that way and yeah. uh, set up a bunch of pathing to work easily. Uh, the U shell stuff with UGS. I've got a pretty good handle on now uh so i wasn't expecting all that one other tip i have for anyone who comes with this cold and i I don't think this is specific to my experience if you do put a lot of stuff on an external hard drive be careful because mac can take forever to delete it so i had uh, an entire source build of unreal engine 5.4 on the external hard drive and then i wasn't using it anymore so i tried to delete it it sat there deleting emptying my trash can For 18 hours and uh, it still wasn't done by the end so that was that was what are you doing man
1: (laughs) okay i got more questions like
0: how old was this hard drive like did you connect it with
1: like a straw or something like
0: (laughs) it's a usb 3.1 you know standard and uh it's a it's a wd uh western digital black drive Um, yeah, it's, you know, a drive that I've used before. One thing that someone pointed out, which could be true, is I left it in the XFAT format because I wanted to still use it on Windows and Mac. And uh, Uh, someone told me that if you really want external drives to work well on Mac, you should use that other file formatting system that's Mac specific.
1: That is very true. Um, so XFAT is, uh, Windows, uh, is the Windows, um, Standard for uh, format, I think, right? But um, oh, I
0: thought NTFS is.
1: I can't remember. Yeah. Mm. So Mac is like w- what you'd call POSIX-ish. So POSIX is like all of Linux and like most OSs are, are built around like this POSIX ecosystem. So like, uh, like Bash and a bunch of other languages that are built around using terminals and stuff like that all related here and mac kind of has a similar lineage but that is very interesting um around the drive format i would definitely take that seriously but are you using like a dongle to connect this thing
0: no it's a it's a direct it's the i don't even know what kind of usb you call it but the little thin one yeah the little thing that's like a little bit longer on the hard drive side and then it just plugs into a standard uh A 3 port Weird well directly into it yeah yeah that's by the way this all being said I, I do like the the, uh, f- the form factor of the Mac mini like it's a very nice little compact size and if it was working a lot better I'd feel very comfortable about traveling with it with a little you know portable keyboard and portable monitor um, But the way this story ends by the way is I got so frustrated with it that I did end up biting the bullet again and actually getting a MacBook Pro yeah. um, with an M1 max. One ter- or sorry, two terabyte hard drive, um, sixty four gigabytes of RAM, And uh, I got a really good deal on it. it was It was used and on sale on BNH Photo. For sixteen hundred dollars, and I believe it retail value when it first came out back in late twenty twenty one, it was forty two hundred dollars. Yeah. So you know the, the the listing was like, oh, there's some scratch marks on it, like that's why we lowered the price so much. And I'm like, oh, I hope the the operating system isn't broken. But I just got that a couple days ago, and that's been running relatively smoothly, all things considered. And I have nothing external attached to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I so I use a. Um the new the 15 inch macbook uh air every day Mm. that's like that's my everyday lap i think it's like a perfect laptop i i love that thing yeah um but i do i do everything remotely like Like i you know i I do everything i just remote into cloud resources all the time so i i don't actually use the local machine all that much for stuff
0: Yeah, and that seems to be the the nice thing about it, is if you like the, the standard operating system and the way it all works, you can kind of remote into anything you need. So a lot of people, I was like, oh, do I need to get the M3 version? And what a lot of people told me is like, the M1 silicone is, is very, very good, especially if you get a Pro or a Max version. And uh, there's really not going to be that m- much of a perceivable difference if you go M2 or M3. Uh, and so far, in my limited experience, that's definitely been true. Like, I'm, I'm able to do all the things I'm trying to do, including running Unreal Engine. Yeah, that's
1: awesome. Well, I'm very excited to yeah. hear about your experience at Apple and, and everything that goes down there. Um, do we want to jump... Into one last uh, little thing here about the Halcyon before we, we wrap up.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're definitely doing a lot of catch-up. But um, for those who don't recall, I'm always, always excited when someone's like, I listen to every episode, like I know about all this stuff. But for those who don't recall, um, I did mention briefly in a previous episode that after um, those of us went to the, the Halcyon in Florida, we had started kind of a community GitHub project. This was our, our two-part finale for the end of season one of the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast. And so what ended up happening was we gathered quite a nice community. And I want to give a, a particular shout-out to uh, Marshall on my team, who ended up creating uh, a really nice version of the Sublight Lounge. And where is this? It's probably in the general channel. Let me go overlay. Um, the people are also building this in like Rec Room and things like that. Oh, that's cool. But um, where is the Sublight Lounge? So we have the GitHub, which anyone can join. GitHub.com slash agile lens slash halcyon VR. Um, and the Discord is open for anyone to join. And here we go. So here's a little bit of what like the sublight lounge looks like. So there's my polycam scan. So pretty rough and messy. And then it's just starting to get laid out as like a cleaner okay. uh, model. And we've got a little sabat game with some basic rules starting to be built there. And this feels pretty good. And then we've got this rock star. Uh, his name's Nick. And he is from, I believe, Gearbox. And Gearbox, or sorry, <laughs> I was going to call him Gearbox Nick, decided to jump into modeling the atrium. Which is the main uh you know area that most people spend the time in this is where like the lightsaber wow, battles yeah. and all the major plot points happen and uh, he's doing a wonderful job here so he just put this into the github as well for
1: those of you who are who are just listening to this um, i I recommend you pop on the YouTube to check this out but <laughs> um, we're seeing just a, a really awesome kind of like moody interior like all the lighting is really nice like has all the color of the lighting um yeah but really nicely detailed all the surfaces seem really well finished like put some effort into the materials like pretty awesome
0: yeah and these little bench things like just seeing these again makes me makes my shins hurt it was so easy to walk into these things (laughs) without noticing them they're just like a little bit too low to be in your lower peripheral vision
1: (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. to see that that's coming along.
0: Yeah, it's been a really cool project, and we've been working with these students from the University University of British Columbia, uh, who've also started to build some of the characters, uh, like the captain and all that, and Wraith uh, Cole. So, and then of course, looking at like exploring all this with in world AI. Um, so we are very excited to see where all this goes. Oh, cool! So you're gonna like throw
1: in some actors and like try and. Try and get it all the way. That that would be really cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly the stretch goal would be like, well, step one is like, let's get all the environments in there. So it's just a nice architectural walkthrough. But then to actually get to a point where we could maybe even like have some event where some of the actual actors who are part of the original run put on a VR headset and come in and use some of the tools that we've been building out for things like Christmas Carol and engage and interact with uh, other wow. people who come into the experience live. Uh, that would be a pretty awesome culmination of so many of the different things we've been involved with. So do you have like a, a generic brand, you know, intellectual property, uh,
1: you know, protector here? Like, is this going to be, you know, like, I, I don't know. Uh...
0: Like, <laughs> Are we going Moon to get wars sued by Disney or, is your like, question? you know did you have you come
1: up with something
0: <laughs> yeah as as far as I've been told, speaking to some of the actual imagineers who worked on halcyon v r is it seems like the the basic uh modus operandi with all things disney star wars in particular is it's all actually kind of fair game free use, do whatever you want as long as it's not commercial as long as we don't start charging people ticket prices or you know. Yeah trying to find a way to make money from this, and it's all kind of like fan community, um, then it's okay. Like you'll notice that if I were to go to the um, the GitHub, github.com slash lens slash VR, we've got some language uh, in the front there that is very much intended to be um, making sure people know. I'm just trying to pull it up so I can read it out loud. TV screen, TV screen connected. Oh, interesting. The screen didn't update. Um, There we go. There we go. Great. Yeah, so what we say here is Halcyon VR is a fan community and open source project that aims to remake and preserve as much as possible that is allowed of the Disney Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser experience in VR and flat screen. It is not associated with Disney in any way. This is a documentation effort using publicly available assets and has no commercial outcome. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, that seems pretty safe.
0: So I think we're okay. That's awesome, though. But it's been really cool to see, like, the kind of stuff people are gravitating towards. And, you know, some of the people looking at this are big Star Wars fans, and some people are not, and just love uh, an excuse to, like, build things in Unreal Engine. Uh, There's some coders, some 3D artists. Here's a little bit of what the Sabak thing looks like. like, How much um,
1: reference did all these people pull together? Like, did you find some... Folks with more photos and and more information. Yeah,
0: a lot of people have really good photos. A lot of people took good three sixty images. Um, as far as I know, I'm still kind of the king of three D scans. Almost all of the three D scans people are using are ones that I took myself. Um, I was really hoping to get some uh, what are, ga- Gaussian splats of the space as well. And uh, Polycam actually started allowing you to reprocess your photogrammetry oh, wow. uh, setups. But you needed to have not deleted the source files. And one of the reasons I got my iPhone 15 was I was just having so much trouble keeping the iPhone 12 not full with the 128 gigabytes of space it had. And a lot of those were things like scans. So, like, right before I got the iPhone 15, I I cleared out a bunch of my old Polycam data, including all the stuff that I had from Galactic Star Cruiser. So, if it had been, like, another three days and I wasn't so low on space, uh, I would have been able to turn all those into Gaussian splats. man. Did you, like... (laughs) scour through iCloud yet like who's iCloud like my iCloud (laughs) Yeah, you never know everything gets saved up there uh not so the the polycam stuff generally doesn't get uploaded automatically like it does get kept in its own little folder and I think at some point it does ask you if you want to upload those things to iCloud or Google Photos but I think I pretty quickly said like no there's like hundreds and hundreds of photos here don't do that yeah
1: that's that makes sense yeah Oh looks like our our video feed here is oh it looks like it's back all right just to the listeners our our, our faces froze for a second there so ignore <laughs> the concern for now um yeah anyways well th- so yeah th- this has been a, a wild ride of an episode it's been nice catching up uh, on everything <laughs> man uh so much to come so next time we speak you'll probably be back from apple and we won't be able to talk about it but
0: (laughs) i'll have very cryptic hints yeah
1: we'll we'll share in excitement at least um and man i i I can't wait to see uh christmas carol definitely everyone check that out if you haven't seen it or if you have you know check it out anyways i will
0: yeah and let, let us know if you're going to be in um, Miami, because uh, I'll be there for Filmgate Interactive. I'll be leaving right from the Apple event on November 29th, headed to uh, LaGuardia, and then I'll fly right to Miami. And we're going to get set up for the premiere of the show down there. Uh, and, and Jackie will be with us operating the Vcam, so you'll actually get to see her like as a camera operator for the virtual experience live. Uh, which will be pretty neat and then for the real-time conference i'll be part of two talks for that in a couple weeks one will be actually with uh, jose and neil again and we'll be chatting in a more casual way about the four seasons project and then i think we're going to be part of a demo with radical ai showing off their single cam uh, mocap stuff which is actually something we wanted to get into christmas carol um the only problem is they're system right now only does this mocap with the editor and it can't work in a packaged build. And for a number of reasons we needed to mostly be in packaged builds. So anyway, that's something we'll continue to explore, but we'll give a nice little Christmas carol demo of that um, for people to see. So be sure to check those out. Jacob, are people going to be able to see you anywhere anytime soon?
1: Anytime soon? Probably not. Like I said, I just wrapped up the convention season for for me and I'm looking forward to staying home for uh a few months here next time i'm heading out will probably be around gdc gtc in mm-hmm. march um so you know i can look forward to those otherwise i'll you know i'll, I'll catch everyone right here on the podcast
0: yeah amen to that Um, Thanks so much to uh, Alan Scott for editing the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast. Thanks to Vikas Reddy and everyone at Light Twist, who, as you might have seen, have given us a brand spanking new studio uh, during the intro with all the banners. It feels like we've got uh, like an army ready to assemble for us. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we are the galactic empire. Uh, Yeah, that's that's the synopsis here. Well, definitely make sure you like, rate, subscribe, all those things. And, And comment, please. Let me know how boring VPNs are. Um,
0: or how amazing? Or how amazing?
1: You know, maybe you check out, you know, uh, some some VPNs. You're like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever, and you start, you know, launch a career in networking. I, 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 Ooh. I hope not. It's a pretty brutal, uh, pretty brutal <laughs> career path. But hey,
0: some people like it, so that could be you. Well put, Jacob. <laughs> uh, thanks everyone so much. We'll see you next time. Cheers.